2: What is going on, belly up sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Parker Ainsworth. Here is another edition of F in Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports biggest issues. Except today, we have a little bit different episode. We're gonna do what's called a writer's workshop with a very special guest. Our guest writer will be revealed in a moment, but first, let's dive into some gold stars and detentions. Our first gold star is going to kind of Maria Andrzejczyk, a Polish javelinist from the Tokyo Olympics. It's also kind of going to go to Zabka, uh, which is a chain of Polish supermarkets. So Maria was going to auction off her Olympic medal, a silver medal for 125000 US dollars to try and help pay for surgery for eight month old at Stanford University. This Zabka chain of Polo supermarkets put in the winning bid, 125000 and told her to just keep the medal that they paid to send her a month old to Stanford. And so, shout out to Zabka, shout out for Frankly, also Maria Andreska, for being that giving. Like, that's a very big life accomplishment, but obviously, that was going to pale in comparison and was a, a giving opportunity for her. So, shout out. They both get a gold star in this instance. Now, you know this next gold star is going to go to Zoe Frost, who makes grills in Houston for Jalen Green. Now, this is a very silly thing, but it's a cool way to see Jalen Green adopt himself into the Houston culture and grills and cars and early 2000s hip-hop and so on. I know it's a really, really little thing to so many people on the outside, but if you think about this on the Houstonian perspective, this is a... Southern California kid who talked a lot about Detroit coming into the draft, wanted to be the number one pick, and so on. And he is completely adopting the city of Houston as his second home, his home away from home. it's really cool to see a guy dive face first into the culture. So while a grill seems flashy and silly to a lot, because it kind of is, (laughs) we're going to give him a gold star for diving face first into the city of Houston. First detention is going to go to... Anyone and everyone who made a Mark Jackson, Sonya Curry meme. Uh, so Sonya Curry and Del Curry filed for di- divorce. That's Steph and Seth Curry's parents filed for divorce this week. And a lot of the internet said to use as a chance to jump on the Mark Jackson memes and gifs and so on. This ain't the time for that. Detention for that. That's not what we're doing on Twitter. I know that that's where sports Twitter tends to go, but that's not what we need to be doing right now. That's a very personal, private family issue. Did blow up and go public, obviously, because of their personas. But we don't need to be pulling out the GIFs and memes for what is, I'm sure, a very hard time for the Curry family. Again, this is coming from me, a guy that slanders the Currys all the time. Now is not the time second detention and final detention goes to frankly all of nba 2k 2022 ratings and things i'm seeing online right now things like rankings of super teams and giving powers to super teams is weird in itself but then to be giving it to like homegrown drafted teams like a lot of the current warriors team is people that were drafted by golden state and to make that a super team online is weird. Um, all of these ratings are weird. The fact that you can see all these 99s in EA Madden and see no 99s in 2K is odd. Like some of the best basketball players of all time are playing right now, and they probably need to be rated as such. It only feeds this kind of overwhelming, oh, back in my day attitude about basketball, which is really unique to basketball and not other sports. Like people think of Tom Brady as the best quarterback, but. Refuse to believe that the best basketball player could be playing right now and seeing something like NBA 2k give a Jordan from the 90s and 99 and give no one in modern basketball higher than like a 96 only feeds into that so detention to NBA 2k 22 and anyone who's buying into this crap anyway As we said earlier this week's edition of FN sports is a little bit different we have a writers workshop with New York Times best-selling author, Maren Fader. Maren Fader works for TheRinger.com. Currently, she's worked for Bleach Report and others in the past. You can find all of her work at MarenFader.com. Some of her latest stuff will be also posted, obviously, on TheRinger.com. But she joins us today to talk about her New York Times best-selling, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP, in which she chronicles the life of Giannis, leading up to his choice to re-sign with the Bucks last December. The book did come out within weeks of Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis winning the NBA Championship and his first Finals MVP. Talk about some serendipity and great, great timing. We'll talk to her about that as well, but instead of listening to me go on and on about Mirren's writing, let's hear it from her. All right. We are joined on FN Sports by New York Times bestselling author, Marin Fader. How are we doing, Marin?
0: I'm good. I'm not over this intro. Um, still in shock, but I'm good. How are you? It's good to be here.
2: I'm good. I'm good. Are you really in shock? You knew it was really good when you finished it, right?
0: No, I never finish things and I'm like, well, that was good. I don't think that at all. Um, I'm totally in shock. In fact, I, you know, we knew when the list was coming out, like the exact time that they posted and I was already preparing to be disappointed and what I'm going to, you know, I was going over what to tell my friends and family who, you know, were checking my Amazon rankings because I didn't want to get involved. And I was like, you do it, dad. It's fine. I don't want to look at it. And um, yeah, I was just so shocked. So shocked. I'm so shocked.
2: <laughs> for those of you that are out of the loop a little bit, uh, Miren just finished and is on a, a whirlwinds tour because of the timing of it all. Giannis, the improbable rise of an MVP, an NBA MVP. First question for the New York Times bestseller, Miren: Can you eat a 50-piece chicken McNugget or a 50-piece <laughs> chicken mini and a Sprite with lemonade? Can you eat yeah. one of those?
0: Yes. And, you know, every <laughs> time I fast Chick-fil-A, I'm like, you know, today would be a good day to get some chicks because of Giannis. <laughs>
2: They they call, just call it the Giannis. You walk up. Uh, I, I I need one of those. Uh, I
0: would love <laughs> <laughs> um, the no. Giannis.
2: Do
0: that. They're gonna look at me like, "Who are you? This is this is too much." <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, clearly, it's a common order because, or at least for one guy, trendsetter. Um, <laughs> Miriam, I gotta ask, as someone who's enjoyed reading you for a while now, I know that you're a coffee shop writer. Oh, yes. um, This book gets okayed in December. It was December of 19 or January of 20. I remember the tweet storm of sorts when this was coming around. Yeah. Um, And then like three months later, the whole world shuts down. Uh, That's no coffee shops. I got to ask a couple questions about the process of this and the doing of making a book. So what, I mean, obviously big changes happen, right? Zoom and so on. What changes did you enjoy? Was there any change in the pandemic writing that you enjoyed?
0: I mean, I um this was the first time where i got to be home you know before when i was working at bleacher report i was on a plane like every other week and i really missed home i missed seeing my parents dog i missed going over there for dinner i missed like things in my friends lives and you know i actually enjoyed just being in one place um And I got a coffee subscription because I couldn't go to the coffee shops. Shout out to sponsor me. Um, They're (laughs) They're my favorite indie coffee shop. And um, well, they're not a physical shop, but they're an online store and I love them. Um, And, you know, it was just really good for me to have a reset. Obviously, this was a painful time period. I never wanted to have this at all. And it made my job so hard. But um, yeah, there there was joy in just like getting to... um, stop for a second.
2: That, right? Like I think it, everyone realized how much life can be better when we slow down over the course of this. Um, it didn't necessarily slow down for you. You just didn't yeah, move as much, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Actually got way harder and more busier. <laughs> Actually nothing slowed down and then I changed jobs. But but at least being in one spot you know, I felt myself at least a little more grounded, both feet on the ground. But yeah, things got insanely busy. As you know, I had one year to do the book instead of two years, which is what normal authors are given.
2: Yeah, and there was this serendipitous timing. We'll talk about the end. I think I've heard that word a thousand times surrounding this book, but we'll talk about that closer (laughs) to the end. Were there any interviews that you think went better? You did 221 interviews at the Famous Number Pass around. Any of these that went better because of Zoom? ones that you wish you could have done not on Zoom. Obviously, everyone wants to go see Greece, right?
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think um, there was a tolerance from both ends of like understanding of how hard this is. And maybe that made the interviews better, because we were both, you know, vulnerable, and how are you? And how's your family? And it, it got You know, you got to that intimate connection a little earlier in the interview than maybe if it was in normal times. And so even though it was over Zoom, I found that people were willing to, I don't know, connect more and be a little bit more compassionate and understanding because of this like global humbling that we've all been through. Um, Of course, recreating a city Athens where I'm not in Athens I'm in Los Angeles in my apartment with my subscription coffee is quite different um but I think it just it really forced me to be you know more relentless in trying to get details okay I'm not there can you describe the street what did the cafe look like what's around it you know it just like really forced you to ask even more questions than you ordinarily would because it's like you know, the publisher wasn't like, oh, Maren, like, it's a pandemic. Like, I understand this is going to be rough. Like, you can have more time. It's like, no. All right, writers, write. It's a pandemic. It's still due March 1st, 2021. Figure it out, you know? <laughs> well,
2: and that's weirdly, like, because you write with your senses very well, right? And so it's like, when you lose one sense, you you have to throw the other four really, well, like, you know, like, just have to develop them in a weird way.
0: Exactly, exactly. And just being... um you know, accepting of your limitations, but also just trying like hell to make up for them. You know, I didn't want to make an excuse. I was really worried that it wouldn't be a good product because of all of these things. But then I had to like really battle with myself this whole pandemic of just like, okay, Let's not think about that. Let's just pour your energy into doing a good job and reporting the heck out of this. Don't think about what if it's not. There was a lot of what ifs. It, one of my friends in the industry was like, I'm going to block you if you say what if one more time. <laughs> he's like, what if this isn't good? What if I don't get this? What if, what if? And he's like, if you say what if one more time, we're done. And he did a screenshot of like blocking my content. <laughs>
2: That's really funny, actually. That's really because like that's like the time you need someone to talk to. It's like listen, Yay! this <laughs>
0: He's like, if you don't stop, like you are getting blocked. It was it was serious.
2: <laughs> and you didn't stop. You kept I you kept stop. asking just just didn't stop, maybe not as much with him, but you didn't stop asking what if you deep dive yeah. a lot of different like avenues and things like that. Um I, I gotta ask you, so when I think and this is probably because I'm a teacher, when I think of biography of athletes. That's frequently like kids' books, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and I don't mean that pejoratively, frankly, I could never write any of these, right? Much in a kid's book, I think the language choice had to be much more delicate. This is not a kid's book. This is very real. Right. Um, And it's a whole different set of challenges. That was obviously an intentional move, right? So what was the thought there?
0: Yeah, like, you know, I think... um... Janus's story is so inspirational that I do think there's a tendency to like sanitize it a bit and make it palatable and you know really be on the fuzzy lightheartedness and there's totally those elements too but there's also like very serious darker elements like racism and immigration and globalism and all of those things are are very true and accurate and so I think for me it was like I wanted to write a book that did justice to his story, and not just his story, but the political, social, economic context that he lives in and lived in. And you know, it's interesting because um, I want kids to be familiar with this side of the story too, because they're growing up in this world as well and need to be aware of the political context. And surely they are, as we are all thinking about identity in numerous ways nowadays. And um, it's interesting, like, when I was a kid and I, you know, was looking up to people in the NBA and WNBA, you know, I always wanted to know, like, what? how did they get here? It's really simple. As a kid, you want to know, like, how did they do it? Like, what did they, where did they come from? It's, like, very simple. And I think if you think like a child and you write, like, a, you know, with the curiosity of a child, it really, sports biographies distill to those two questions.
2: Yeah, and it's funny because you talk about, like, where did they come from? We know the folklore of, like, you know, Jordan and he gets cut as a sophomore or whatever. And then, you know, and we know a lot about a lot of these American folks, Yonis' uh, right. story. There's just, there was this big gap in the middle that you've now filled in for all of us. Right. It's, it's obviously a fascinating story. I don't mean that it should have been a kid's book by any stretch. It's just, it, it's, no, yeah. it's very real. Like there are some things that like I, I teach in the middle school. So like some middle right. school kids, baby, but like, you don't want a little kid knowing about like right. the SWAT because everywhere, like there, there was a real, that's a real life thing. Um,
0: right. Right.
2: We talked about senses earlier I, and diving into the contents of the book. There was a lot about food. Mm. Um, I, I just noted, like there was souvlaki in Greece and there was Nigerian cuisines mentioned. There were obviously like the epilogue will have Chick-fil-A in it. Uh, there's all the smoothie talk. Um, I, I also think there's part of this is like there is an absence of food, too. Like that was also important. Was that intentional or am I making a lot out of nothing?
0: No, you're intentional. And I'm so happy that you um, that you picked up on this because that was a major motif in the book. There's a couple of motifs. Shoes is one of them and food is one of them. And um, there is one chapter called Hunger. And I wanted to put that first because it's a metaphor for the entire book. There's the literal hunger with the food, and then there's the hunger and desire to be something and somebody. And so I, I set up food as this motif to kind of show those double layers of meaning. And you know, with Giannis, like somebody who um, somebody who grows up knowing acutely how much food they have or don't have is going to be affected by that for the rest of their lives. And I think sometimes when people, um, you know, read narratives about people that come from really difficult backgrounds, they tend to think that once their circumstances change and they get money, that they no longer have those issues. And so it was important for the book to have food as a repeating motif because it's it's not like you your circumstances change and you don't have those same insecurities in some way you will always be think like you're food insecure even though you know you have um there's an anecdote in the book about oreos and i think that's the most searing anecdote in the book um because it just really represents like how his mentality was shaped by this hunger for so many years
2: yeah i'm not i'm not ever taking anyone's oreos or gummy bears or things that i think of like yeah ever again ever again (laughs) Um that was a fascinating anecdote and I don't want to give too much away, but read the book. It's it's really good. Um I also thought it was interesting that like I think it was the NASA's one of the brothers sits down with someone and they're like and he's like, I can just eat all of this and starts like double breading his own sleuth or whatever. It's like once it's there, it's like I have to take in everything. exactly.
0: Um, Exactly. Or or take some to go and, and Giannis and his rubber made boxes and never knowing if you're gonna have more. And yeah, it's it's such a thing it's such a thing. I've been hearing a lot of, you know, people who have read the book that are just like, wow, I went through this myself. Me and my family are fine now. We're middle class, but growing up, I really didn't have much. And I always am acutely aware of these things. And that's very real. You kind of don't lose that instinct. So I'm glad that that's in there, because I think that's realistic. You know, you don't really lose that, even though you have more money.
2: Completely. One other thing that's realistic about the book that I think is like a very hard truth of Giannis's life is he's constantly running, you know, he, his family, people like them in Greece are running into racism and then running into immigration things. And, and this entire, like, uh, this struggle of just existing in these spaces, Sepolia, Milwaukee, wherever. Obviously, we know it's tough to come to the United States at 18. But did you know about all of that background? when you jumped into this book? Or was that a surprise? Do you have some hints? Or was that really new?
0: Yeah, it was really, really new. I mean, I had a hunch for sure that he experienced racism just because like, you know, it's so common, not in America, obviously, but in Europe, you know, of course, like that's have heavy, you know, immigrant populations, like it's going to happen. And so my thing was like, how come we haven't heard much about this? And I think the entire childhood period just hasn't really been covered and let alone the racism. And I do think because his story is so awesome and inspiring people gloss over that, or it's just not told for whatever reason. Um, But it was, it was just really important to have that in there because Giannis doesn't exist in a vacuum. You know, he is a person and an athlete and his identity intersects with how he moves through the world and how people treat him in that world then and now. And so in order to understand what he means to his home country and how he feels about his home country and the country where his parents are from, Nigeria, you kind of have to contend with all these facets of his identity.
2: Yeah. And I I think that it's interesting because his identity gets tied to places and places is its own. Each place, I should say, is its own character in your book. It it obviously ends with, if we're going to give away chapter titles, it ends with home. Right. Um, But the book, I, I describe this because I'm a history teacher and not a math teacher. The book's like 50%, it. it's 50% Milwaukee, 50% being an immigrant, and 50% about Giannis. I know the math's kind of funky there, but like it really is constantly about the inner workings of spaces. And like he's a person that embodies a lot of spaces.
0: Man, thank you for saying that. That's, you know, literally what I wanted people to think um, because. I think like there's a tendency to just not create context. When we talk about athletes, we forget that they're human and and humans are treated differently in this world. And, you know, place is a character and and Giannis is treated differently depending on where he goes. And it's, he has not just one foot in one country and one foot in another country, but many different countries, wherever he goes. And it's not, It's it's important to note that he didn't just come to America. He came to one of the most segregated cities in America. He um, wasn't just in Sepulia at the time of an economic recession. He was there with a neo-Nazi far-right group named Golden Dawn that came to power. You know, like all of these things are so important to talk about because we talk about his miraculous rise. Yes, it is so miraculous that he made it to the NBA, given that he was barely scouted, started playing basketball late played in a division nobody's ever heard of, but it's also miraculous because he was able to transcend all of these things without papers, without any help, without Sorry. any, you know, it's, it's really the, the political side is almost, in my opinion, is a little bit more interesting, more interesting than the basketball.
2: Well, and isn't that fascinating that like, obviously you've uncovered in the book, but like this is an entire world that I f- felt like was, like we talked about, just a void, it, it was no, just not discussed. So we talk about places. You you seem to use place as a character very well, and it seems very much intentional. And I think that, that's kind of what you're just saying. He references he references home in the last or the tweet for the free agency signing, right? He resigns in Milwaukee. I'm coming home, or or whatever the phrase was exactly. Had you written the title of your final chapter yet? Did you know home was uh, was that another serendipitous moment, or was that on purpose?
0: No, it it came together because of that tweet. So I, you know, the the end of the book was like, "Oh, OMG, what do I do? It was this like thing (laughs) that was just there. And I was like, oh, dang, I'm going to have to get there at some point. I don't know how, because you know, I, I got the book deal in March, 2020. I did not know that Giannis was going to stay in Milwaukee or not. So I started really chronologically because I was like, I don't know how to end this book. I really don't. Um, And when he did that tweet and he said, this is my home, it just all clicked for me. And I was like, we're going to call it. Yeah. We're going to call it home Place as a character, all these things that you're talking about, which by the way, like thank you for seeing that because that's, you know, I worked really hard to establish those themes so that people would make those connections. And, um, the reason I loved that tweet so much is like he didn't have to say that, you know. It goes beyond like I want to stay here and win a championship. You know, home is is such a loaded word, and I think Giannis has been searching for this his whole life. In some ways, he, you know, I chronicle the evictions that he and his family had early on in the book, and always sort of moving, being transitory, not really having a place to call your own, your home. Then he makes enough money that he has a home, but he's back and forth between the US and and Greece. And then he's contending with Nigeria and all these things that are important to him. He has many homes, right? And then Milwaukee becomes an actual home. And so I, I just think like searching for home, it's not just a physical place, it's a place of belonging. And I think his whole life he's been searching To belong,
2: Well, and and he has this home in Milwaukee. He's got his family there with obviously when they play elsewhere, they play elsewhere. But they seem to all home base, it looks like in Milwaukee. He's got his own child now. I mean, it really is becoming his familial home. And I think it's interesting that if I'm looking at sports in 2020, there's a lot of obviously very historic moments from that year, weirdly. But the historic sports moment to me also involves the Milwaukee Bucks uh, when they walk out in the bubble. I I learned a lot about. I mean, obviously, we'd seen some of the awful video of of right. incidents coming out of there. But I learned a lot about Milwaukee and the Bucks in the course of that as well. Um, you touch on that a little bit in the book, but can you expand a little bit more, like the impact that has on a guy like Giannis? Like, this is not his homeland. He's not choosing to be in Milwaukee. Like, I, that he got drafted there. That's just where he stuck, kind of
0: yeah i you know i knew that there were you know racial tensions in milwaukee but there is in every state so i didn't think like oh milwaukee in particular but yeah and learning the stats about you know how much black tenants are evicted and um the rates of violence um you know with police killing unarmed black men and um incarceration rates for black men and black women and he's drafted to essentially an incredibly polarized segregated place um where people that look like him are subjugated and not treated well and um i think that was fascinating that he learned how race works in america through teammates like karan butler you know john henson like teammates that were saying like this is how it is in america because he's coming from a his own dynamic in greece which is different um And I think it was really interesting to watch Giannis be vocal in the Black Lives Matter protests, um, you know, through the pandemic, because he has this kind of hesitance to talk about race um throughout his career for obvious reasons right like if a neo-nazi group is calling you a chimpanzee on national television from your home country barely escaped with papers you're not necessarily going to speak out about a neo-nazi criminal organization it just makes sense you know um and so i i just it's been fascinating to watch him speak out more and i i think there's so much more room for him to have an even bigger platform
2: well and it's interesting because certainly in the beginning of his career when it's just him and his brother in the states He's not going to be super vocal because he's got to get his family here, right? Like like that that could really set things back. I thought it was interesting, and you talked a lot about it in the book, that his emphasis on activism in America is because, it's again, this is home. And now I have child. Child has to live in America now, Right.
0: Right. Yeah. And that and he said that in the protest, he was like, I want my kid to feel safe here, walking these streets. You know, I don't want my kid to live in fear. You know, he's raising a, a black child in America and, and how different that is from Sapolia and the challenges he faced growing up versus the ones his son will face. Um, because it doesn't matter if you're the child of a superstar, it doesn't matter. They will just see you for your race. And that's, unfortunately, the way things work um, in America and, and Europe elsewhere. Um, so I just think Giannis is just really um, has so much potential to use his voice even for even more good. I, I think people really want to hear from him. I think there's just such a hunger to you know, hear from him and, and learn more about what he thinks. And there's more I think there's even more of an interest about who he is as a person than, you know, one of the greatest basketball players of all time.
2: Yeah, and it's weirdly something that makes him a lot more like his peers because you see athletes being very active across sports, certainly in the NBA, that not people that are very shy about letting us know, like, hey, we need to do better as a state, country, planet, whatever, right? Right. One thing that I think does make him different from his colleagues is he has this constant, you know, you mentioned the tears as a young player. You mentioned there's this humility throughout the book He got a lot of flack throughout the playoffs for some of those very same things, right? The Kevin Durant is the best player on earth quote. The, you know, I can't believe, I don't know what I would do without Chris Middleton. It was something to that effect, right? You're hearing those happen this summer. You're not surprised, right? That all makes sense. That all tracks.
0: It all tracks, and also I thought they were really lovely things to say. I thought they were really positive. I think he's like such a good role model for like how to, for for children and teens of how to uplift your teammates, respect them, um, talk about them, interact with them, how to have respect for your peers. I, I don't understand why we have this stupid mentality, clickbait mentality, where you can praise another player and that means that you somehow don't think you're as good. What? Who? I'm sorry, who's reading comprehension (laughs) skills are these? I thought it was a really lovely thing to say. And I, I, same with Chris Middleton. Like, (laughs) championships aren't won alone. I don't, (laughs) you know, like, you will hear MJ talking about Kerr. You will, like, it just makes no sense. Like, I have no idea. I think sports media is broken in so many ways. It's corrupt from the TV influence. And we're just steering, it's, it's really sad because I actually think, you know, the next day should have been a robust conversation about, you know, sportsmanship and, and teammates and how and the, and the struggles they all, Chris and him went together from winning 15 games till now. And, you know, did you ever have times where you wanted to be the alpha and he wanted to be? I mean, I just think there's so many other directions you could have taken it, but it, of right. course, it just went to this like stupid um, discourse. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no and I, you're not you're preaching the choir here i mean anyone who listens to the show i gave skip bayless a detention last week like yeah. <laughs> you, were, hey, he you are he
0: is yes
2: <laughs> <laughs> um but I, I just thought it was interesting and because i'm obviously doing this in the diverse order that you did right you wrote the book and then saw that stuff happen i saw this happen i was like oh this is interesting and then i read the book and i'm like oh that all that all makes sense right. <laughs> right right that's that all is just the same the same guy right um All right, so this book emphasizes it's in the title, The Rise, and it's full of victories and setbacks to struggle. You hint throughout the book at the struggle for a championship.
0: Right.
2: You don't know when you're writing this that it's come, I don't think. If you do, we gotta talk and we gotta go to Vegas. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So you're writing in that direction before there's a title, and then the title happens, and then the book comes out. So aside from being perfectly you know, a great gambler, what was, the, what was the purpose of that? Why is the title the thing that you're writing towards?
0: Well, it's, it's funny because my friends are like, are you a witch? Can you write about my favorite players so we can win the championship? I'm like, I don't think it works like that. But, um, I just think there was so much. Um, so, okay. Originally the book was pegged to come out at this time because we thought he would be in free agency and obviously it would be the biggest story of the the summer. And there's a lot of context about, the bucks as a franchise and you know how it started and how the generational player always seems to leave right we we set up kareem we set up this history of you know the bucks leaving for atlanta originally and all these sort of factors that happened before Giannis, decades of mediocrity so i'm writing in this context of like here's a struggling franchise that almost leaves the city Giannis literally saves the Bucks from leaving Milwaukee, right? Like it was a very real possibility that they could have left, like the Supersonics did, and that was literally in conversation for decades, especially when he got there. And so, then the Bucks get really good when Giannis comes, <laughs> and it's like the super oh. momentum is building towards the end of the book, but of course I think it just ends there because the books aren't going to win, right? Like they never win. Like it's like, you always, you, you weren't, you, you have hope, but you get disappointed and then you keep hoping. And it's like the life, the psychology of a Bucks fan. Right. So I just thought, okay, they need this guy. If they ever want to do this. And it was, I wrote it like that. If they ever want to do this. Okay. So obviously I didn't think they were going to do this when the book was literally being printed. And Of course, everyone's like, oh, my God, it ends before that. But I still think it shows you how awesome it is now that they won because now you know all the struggle that this franchise and this player went through to get to this point.
2: Yeah, and I think that, you know, the epilogue of winning a title, I don't mean to make it – not every title is the same. They're not all homogenous. But there is something weird there, right? Where, like, yeah, (laughs) of course they won. Where the book without that, you know, knowing that when you're writing it, I think it's interesting that that's the, like – climax that you don't even intend on um it also he's the championship and like like he's the success he's he stays um and and i think that that was fascinating but the whirlwind that has come after is only because they win. i mean not only because but they win the title right like your life has been really also turned upside down by the city of milwaukee winning a championship
0: yes um i have not really slept since the bucks won a championship (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's a privilege. You know, it, it thrust me into the spotlight. Um, you know, of course, I, I, I'm i proud of the book regardless. But of course, like it created such a, you know, um, such a buzz around the book, which I'm thankful for. But yeah, it's been so crazy. And of course, I never expected this. Like, as you know, there's so much in the book that talks about how the bucks are going to box and they're not going <laughs> to <do it. laughs> And so, you know, it's just it was thrilling to see it happen, not just for personal, you know, reasons, which, of course, I'm rooting for me. If you got to <laughs> Um, But, you know, all the Bucks fans I interviewed in the book, um, they got to have their moment in the sun. So it's been chaotic, but it's been really, you know, awesome. It's a privilege for sure.
2: Yeah, and it's just, the, it's wild that it all happened. I mean, they're, they're a Kevin Durant shoe size here, or, or tweaked hammy yeah. there. Like, it it all just worked out. Uh, it's wild, wild.
0: But that's, um, Giannis, let me just, that's Giannis's story. There's all these improbable moments that just miraculously occur. Like, what if the Greek government never grants him citizenship? He doesn't go to the NBA. What if, um, you know, what if he, what if that guy, Spiros never sees him playing tag and then he never goes to feel up it like, what if the bucks, you know, don't draft him, you know, what if, um, you know, there's just a million what ifs, you know, I, I just think it's, it's just, he, he, with my what if. He, yeah, was just I was going to say we're
2: coming full circle. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I really
0: had to that out of my vocab. But but wow, um, my friend, you should block me after this, Parker. But, um, <laughs> yes, you know, I just think like, of course they want it in this miraculous, unfathomable way. His whole journey is like that. It's a series of events of, of sorry to be annoying, improbable things
2: no i mean it, and it's it's intentionally named right it is improbable right. um this is not the first serendipitous time you've written about athletes though right obviously whenever you write about someone you go very full on deep dive in it's great stuff we're going to link stuff all throughout the description and show notes people who want to read more about about and by mirin but you cover lamello in lithuania <laughs> he's rookie of the year Right, like, like that's kind of someone who has enjoyed reading you. That was kind of like the national, like, who's this Maren Vader? And it's like now he's rookie of the year, right? That worked out.
0: That worked well. That worked out very nicely. I must say, thanks, Lavelle. Um,
2: <laughs> you had Arike you covered in twenty eighteen. Oh. Arike is now like WNBA All Star Game MVP. I'm living in Dallas. It's great to watch. Oh.
0: Right, she's, great. she's awesome.
2: You write about Liz Cambage around the time she breaks the scoring record. Oh, yeah. Also down um, at the time yeah, where well, she's big. Um, but obviously as a Rockets guy, you write about Jay Sean Tate. Great story. Great story. He ends up making all rookie team. Uh, you can go back to like Devonte Adams and like now his quarterback's MVP and like there's all the stories about him and like, well, does he stay? Does he go kind of stuff? Um, I also noticed you wrote about Jalen Green back in 2018, which makes me think that he'll be the, you know, Guy in modern <laughs> basketball to be the finals MVP as a rookie, right? That's the Rockets thing. That's how this goes. I, 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 just, I guess my thought is <laughs> – my real question, though, is aside from talking about how great Jalen Green is, is how are you picking athletes? Because you're finding stories that are about people that we're all going to want to know about, and you're way at the front of it.
0: It's Thank you for saying that, Parker. You know, it's interesting that you would say that because we just had a meeting um, with the Ringer today, and I was thinking – As I was sitting here in this meeting, I was like, God, it is like so hard to come up with ideas. I think because, you know, I write these things like you just listed. It seems so easy, right? Like just pick somebody that's successful. But a lot of the people I pick are actually not like they're successful, but they're not there yet. I like I like picking people that are like on the rise or have something interesting about them. And then they blow up like I love that because I love learning how they got there right? How did you get there? And where are you from? Like, that's my, those are my two things. And um, I think it's one of the most hardest parts about being a writer is picking the subjects. And because sometimes I'm interested in somebody and they don't want to talk, or, you know, maybe they do want to talk and then the interview doesn't go well. And then the story sucks. Like, I think there's just so many factors involved in making a good story. But as far as choosing these people, if you notice, there's always some piece of adversity that this athlete or, you know, this person has gone through. And I don't really like to write about people where everything has gone perfect. I really don't like the the prodigy. I really don't like everything's peaches. You know, I don't, I don't like that. I think it's boring. And I think I like to pick people that whose journeys are circuitous. And, and I think that there's a lot of things that People can read it and see and get inspired by in the stories. You know, I think these themes are universal. So it's more about like what they've gone through. And that requires a tremendous amount of pre-reporting before I even pitch it to my editors.
2: Do you think there is some correlation between people that survive all of that really hard real life stuff and then sports ends up being kind of like, oh, I'm really good at this?
0: I think so. I mean, I think um, that's why, like, for example, with Giannis the counting at the free throw line doesn't really phase him. I mean, how is that going to phase you when you've gone through literal hunger? You know, Um, somebody like Jalen Green who's, who's just battle tested and been through a lot is not really going to feel phased by celebrity at, at, you know, a young age, uh, somebody like Jason Tate, who literally at every turn had everything against him. Nobody thought he was going to be good. And it created a tremendous confidence in himself. You know, it's it's not just like I don't like presenting just what people have been through, but what they learn from it, what they take from it, how it makes them wiser, stronger, better, more empathetic, more compassionate, um, more competitive. I think it's, it's fascinating to see how these life events have shaped them into the humans that they are.
2: Completely, and we all get to watch the fun part, right? Like they've done all this before, or not on camera at least, if not before, and now we're watching them play a game and cheering or booing or, or whatever. I hope we're not doing it too much worse than booing. Um, but it's just fascinating that so you're shaking your head. Yeah. Like, you're <laughs> right. You're right. Well, um,
0: funny, I'm, the game, I'm like dead ass silent. And my friends are like, is she mad? Is she having a bad day? But I'm studying them. I'm looking at the players and I'm like, hmm, I wonder like what his background is. I'm like very curious. I'm very like student of the game. I, I don't really cheer. I don't really boo. I'm like, <laughs> I look like I'm having the worst time in the world, but I'm actually having such an awesome time.
2: <laughs> I'm actually a really bad Super Bowl party guest for the same reason. So, like, I watched the game and talked during the commercials.
1: Right. Um,
2: and I famously, for like, Ten or so years now have not been around people with Super Bowl because I also want to watch the commercial Super Bowl. So that means I'm not talking right. for four hours, right? Like, like, <laughs> like that's just yeah. how that goes.
0: You got to watch a game, which we'll just be two people in silence. <laughs> just you only quiet, just, like, you, like, you hear the crunch. And the
2: that's it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny. The other thing I noticed about all of these athletes is there's a consistent international focus. Um, obviously, Giannis, Jay Sean plays in Australia, LaMelo, Lithuania, Cambage is Australian. I I could go down more. Is that intentional or is that just where you're seeing more intrigue because it's different?
0: Yeah, intentional. I think like we're not exploring international stories in the way that we should. Um, It's an untapped market. Um, Clearly, sports leagues are trying to be global, and it's surprised me that sports media companies haven't explored more of that. Um, I think they're starting to, for sure. You see some offices, like I know The Athletic has an office in the UK I think and I know Bleacher has one in the UK but really it's like there's just you're trying to separate yourself as a writer like you're competing you know there's so few of us left you're you're really competing with people and if everyone's going for the same people in America here's how I can differentiate myself talk about people not from here Um, and I also just find it more interesting you know there's 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 social political context that goes with that and I really love traveling, you know, pre-pandemic. I I really was not a traveler before I became a journalist. I was, it really pulled me out of my comfort zone. But once I saw that I was capable and could go to somewhere like Lithuania and report, it's just encouraged me to try to find other international stories, you know, because um, people, I've gotten so many messages from people around the world, like, how do I buy your book? And I'm not saying that in like a, oh my God, people want to buy my book. It just reminds me, like, sports fans are just everywhere. Like, it's the one thing that you can, so many people love. And it just reminds me that, like, there's so many stories out there, and I got I to gotta go beyond my backyard.
2: So with the success of the athletes you write about, the two next people you need to write about are Alfred <laughs> Sangun and Usman Garupa, both just drafted by the Rockets, both not from the States. Clearly, that's the direction we're going to go. And then we'll win a bunch of championships with all these Marin Fader type of athletes
0: um,
2: <laughs> that's, 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 the direction.
0: That's,
2: that's where we're going not that you need any plugging people know who you are but where where can people find when you write these profiles on green and Sangoon and and Garuba and so on for the riots? Where where can people find your stuff
0: you know what i'm about to do after this i'm gonna google and i'm gonna see if that if i really should so thank you um. <laughs> I'm just at Mirin Fader on Twitter, M-I-R-I-N-F-A-D-E-R, and my website is just mirinfader.com. I worked so damn hard on my website; it is very hard to do that when you're just not, you know. I'm not a tech person, so if you want, and we to have so much, say, you have so much
2: spare time, right? You have so yeah, much spare time. Right. Oh
0: my God. <laughs> I, before the book came out, I was like, "Shit, I need to like update my website," you know, and like it's been years. Like, I've got to. Get it together. And so the night before my book came out, I was doing my <laughs> website. So I was like, I think people are gonna actually maybe they'll click on it. And so yeah. <laughs> updated, guys. It's updated.
2: <laughs> so MarinFader.com, Marion Vader on Twitter, latest stuff's with the ringer mostly. Obviously, the book will be linked. Well, we're gonna link it on Amazon in the show notes, but go to your local bookstore, right? Go go no. go somewhere else uh, and, and find it there as well. But that is New York Times best selling author. Maren Fader, <laughs> thank you for coming by.
0: They can't see my face. I'm just, my eyes are just going huge. I'm, I'm I'm shocked. Anyways, thank you, Parker, what an honor. I appreciate your time.
1: <laughs> okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement?
2: Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis?
1: So, I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So, maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But...
2: Your face. Class, don't you feel like you learned a little something about writing, or at least the detail and care it takes to write something as great as a New York Times best-selling biography? Shout out to friend of the show, and, and really just friend Mirren for stopping by and talking some about her process, about the book itself, and maybe getting a little hint as to what's next and how she finds what athletes she wants to profile. Again, you can find all of her stuff, as she said, at mirinfader.com or on Twitter at mirinfader, that's at M-I-R-I-N-F-A-D-E-R or mirinfader.com for all the latest things from Marin. As you'll see me post on my own Twitter, hashtag always read Marin As for my Twitter, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Painsworth512, that's at P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram where I'll be posting Stuff like this show, stuff like the stuff I'm putting out with BellyUpSports.com, and all kinds of good content as we get into football season and then basketball season. You'll get to see more and more content pushed out. If you really, really like the basketball talk, you're in luck. The midweek midrange is Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern. It is an all-belly-up show in which we have belly-up writers on to talk basketball all the time. It's obviously a little bit slower time in basketball right now with the off season going on, but it's live on Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, obviously, you can check back on the YouTube for a replay if you want to go back and check the tape. That's at Midweek Midrange on Twitter and Instagram, and we're live on Wednesday nights on Twitter and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and check in to that as well. As for this show... FN Sports does have a Twitter and Instagram page. You can find us on Twitter at FN Sports, two. That's at F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, number two, all one word, on Twitter. On Instagram, we're at F underscore N underscore sports. That's at F underscore N underscore sports. And we make sure we post all of our content on both Twitter and Instagram for you to check out and enjoy. Be sure to like, download, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Do all the wonderful things that help us out. And remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later guys.